Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and we're talking today about advanced directives. Why are they important? How they help family members and practitioners and hospitals, care centers know how to take care of people and why we need to act on preparing our advanced directive right now. Joining us is Dr. Dominic Moore. He's with the University of Utah Health and Intermountain Healthcare, and you are a pediatric palliative care physician. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. All right. And also the medical director of palliative care at Intermountain Healthcare. When we use the term palliative, what does that mean? Oh, that's a great question. So palliative care is care focused on quality of life for people who are dealing with serious illness. And that may be anything from cancer to heart disease to uh, lung, lung changes or kidney disease. And really, it's about finding out what is most important to someone, what makes their life happy and and worth living, and then making sure that those parts of their life are always emphasized and protected. Sometimes that's through symptom management, and sometimes it's through um, thinking in advance about what they might like uh, and what's most important to them, and, and we call that advanced care planning. And it's interesting how the COVID-19 pandemic, um, and I should I say interesting, but it's really heartbreaking how it brought this right to the front and center because people suddenly were getting dramatically ill and um, many people lost their lives to the COVID-19 virus. And many family members uh, had no idea what the choices these patients, you know, would have wanted. What, what do they want to be, you know, brought back? Do they want a respirator? All these things. So what did you see in the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, it's really been heartbreaking, honestly, um, to see families who are trying so hard to honor and respect the wishes of their loved one, and they don't have their loved one's voice in any real formal or even, you know, historical way through conversations. And so um, as best we can as healthcare professionals, we help these families navigate the information that's available. We try to learn as much as we can about the person who they love who might not be able to speak for themselves, and and we navigate that together. It's, it's tough. It's um, really a strain and a stress on families. I think anyone who's in a family or um, has siblings or cousins or anyone else who might be part of a, a team making a decision realizes how different we all are and also how different our values are, even if we come from the same family or same religious background. And so um, I guess to to give that 
um, cloud a silver lining, I'll also say that we've seen some really amazing things during the COVID-19 pandemic where people have proactively taken control of their own medical decisions in their life and said, hey, this is this is what I want, and they speak in advance to a healthcare agent and say, hey, if I can't speak for myself, I want you to speak for me, and this is what I'd like you to say. And really to see the peace that comes to families um, and to individuals when that care has been taken, it's it's really amazing. You know, I, I think of um, a family in an emergency room in, in one of our hospitals here in Utah whose mother was very sick and at the very end of life and um, really uh, had some, some hard decisions to make in that emergency room. But this matriarch of this family had been clear about what she wanted. And so rather than, you know, having arguments or chewing over all of the details of her medical care, this family was able to just sit together, be together, talk about the things that they loved about this woman, talked about all the ways that they were grateful for her. And it really, it changes that dynamic at the end of life. It changes our ability to focus on what's really most important. And of course, as you're sharing this, it takes me back to different moments where, you know, years ago when my mother uh, was a stage four breast cancer patient and how she indeed had an advance directive written out as to what she wanted her end of life to be like. And even having that written, what was um, an educational experience for me is that every one of my siblings handled grief differently. Um, some were extraordinarily sad and, and frozen with the inability to make decisions. Others were, were angry over the pending loss. And, and I know that most of us who have never gone through grief may not have an idea of where our, our emotions will be when someone we love is, is at that point. And, and COVID-19 kind of brought that, uh, reminded me of what that is, because suddenly you have people who are grieving also having to make these decisions. And, and so, you know, this, this is that additional tool to help people feel better, like, no, this is what she wanted, or this is what he wanted. And I think, would it not make a patient feel somewhat like they're in control of their care to the end? Very much. You know, I, I think we are, we have a, a Western mentality here in Utah, and, and I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, we, we like to be self-determined people. We like to think about um, what, what we want and, and what we feel like is best. And really, I think for so many patients who come into the hospital, they, they realize that unless they make a plan, unless they speak up, some of that autonomy, some of that freedom and independence is lost. Um, because we do, um, as, a, as healthcare systems, and this is true for every healthcare system in Utah um, and really every healthcare system in the United States, there's a default setting. There are the standard things that we do if we don't have any instructions otherwise, and those are aggressive measures. They include um, having a tube for breathing. They include having machines um, for life support. They include CPR. And um, if a person wants to take control and thinks that those things might not be right for them, um, really this is the way to do it. 
Well, and let's talk about that. Again, for those who just tuned in, this is Dr. Dominic Moore. He is the medical director of Palliative Care at Intermountain Healthcare. He also is a pediatric palliative care physician with the University of Utah Health. And, and my understanding is that means that you are working closely with children and their families when children are uh, enduring um, major diseases. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, I'm so lucky that I get to work with families and children who are really going through some tough times. But as you mentioned, often those tough times really bring out a lot of our emotion and and some of the the good and and kindest parts of us. And I've seen that as well, and I appreciate that. Let's talk about what an advanced directive is and how what it should include and how we get that into the hands of our healthcare providers and our family members. Oh, yeah, great. So an advanced directive basically is a set of instructions um, for how to take care of you, including who to talk to about your healthcare decisions if you can't make those yourself. Um, It means that you've thought in advance of what's most important to you, and this is what you want the medical team to know about you. Um, There are forms available um, through the state, and um, both Intermountain and the University of Utah have some of these forms available on their websites. And um, really, I think for a lot of families, this can be such an intimidating uh, process that just knowing a good place to start, and really a simple place to start is who should speak for me? And if, um, let's say, uh, you were talking to a parent or a spouse or a neighbor, just saying, hey, I I hope this never happens, that you can't speak for yourself. But if it did, who should speak for you? And realize that people make decisions for their own reasons. Realize that it's not um, a a personal um, criticism if you're not chosen as, as your parents' healthcare proxy. They, uh, many people occasionally make choices about who they protect also in this process. Um, and once they've said who their healthcare agent should be, you can also say, what, what's most important to you? What, is, what does quality of life look like to you? And what would an unacceptable quality of life be? That's, that's a really hard thing to answer because it requires a lot of imagination but unfortunately, during this COVID-19 pandemic, um, we have had to use less imagination because I think most of us have a neighbor or a friend or someone at work or in our community who's really struggled with COVID-19 or been in the hospital for a long time, and some of them never left the hospital. And so um, thinking about what makes life worth living, what what is a good quality or function of life? That's a great place to start. And, and once that decision is made, um, to, to your other question, um, we recommend that you tell anyone who might need to um, have that information or speak for you. So that would be your doctor. It would be the hospital that takes care of you. And often your doctor can get that information to the hospital that would take care of you. And then also to your family members, um, speaking about the children that we take care of here at Primary Children's, when they um, put together um, what we call a POLST, a, a Provider Order for Life-Sustaining Therapy, which is a type of an advanced directive, um, we make like 12 copies for them. 
and we give them to them and say, hey, um, put this in your diaper bag and maybe also in your glove box and make sure one's at grandma and grandpa's house and make sure that, you know, for some of our folks who live in more rural areas, hey, this might be a nice thing to bring to the volunteer fire department who might show up if something happens so that they know how to treat you. Um, so really communicating that as, as widely as, as people can and, and would feel comfortable with. Well, and I appreciate all these details because my that was my thought is, do you go to your primary care physician? And I'm someone who is still being treated for cancer. So this is a reality for me. And um, many people had faced that kind of scary reality with COVID-19. And there are other diseases out there that make us think, ah, I'm, I'm actually at a younger age going to need to think about this. Is that first conversation whether or not we have a, um, a serious disease, does that first conversation with the healthcare provider occur with our primary, you know, healthcare provider? In other words, the next time we have a checkup or we book an appointment for our annual exam and then have that conversation, and then does that physician enter that into our medical records? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. And I think um, the the nice. Uh, the nice point to make here is that there's no wrong place to start. Okay. Um, and so whether you're starting that conversation during your annual visit, whether it's something that's maybe this is weighing heavily on your mind and you want to make a special visit specifically for this, or maybe you want to have a conversation the next time you have a family dinner or um, that you, you know, go go to dinner with a friend, um, all of these are the right places to start. And one of the reasons that we have National Healthcare Decision Day, which is on this, the 16th, is it just gives us an annual reason to think about it because these decisions aren't written in stone. They're not, you know, tattooed on our arm or anything else like that. They are um, they're simply our most current instructions that we've given to folks. And so... Once you get that process started with your physician or with your family, you can say, these are my decisions as of, you know, April of 2022. And um, you might change who your healthcare decision maker is. You might um, change what your thoughts are, attitudes about a breathing machine or something else. Um, it really is, we, we use the term, which is maybe a nerdy term, but uh, it's a living document. Um, it's it's a document that you are constantly updating um, because I'm I'm sure um, I you know I I don't want to speak too much to, to your experience, Rebecca, but I'm sure that your journey has been through some major ups and downs, and um, you know where you are today versus where you were at initial diagnosis is is probably very different and. Hopefully, um, any plan or who's speaking for you is informed by who you are today. And, and I appreciate that, but it's it's ironic that even though we're having this interview, and I did know and learn that National Health Healthcare Decisions Day was April 16th, an annual day to like have everyone pause. 
I haven't put an advanced directive in place. I have not identified which member of my family or my loved ones would be my voice. And so we can all get very busy. And, you know, I, I love this. There's information. Uh, this is Dr. Dominic Moore, for those who joined us, who's the medical director of palliative care at Intermountain Healthcare and works with children at Primary Children's uh, Medical Center as well. But it is, it's interesting that we, with the taxes, we know April 15th is coming, right? And so it forces us to do some financial assessment once a year. So this is the day after. And again, it's that idea of, hey, let's make sure our healthcare documents are in place because life gets so busy, no matter what, where our health is, that we will forget this. And then medical events, you know, uh, both of my, my elderly father and his, his uh, wife had COVID-19 that caused um, two or three times for them to have to be taken by ambulances and to hospitals. And, and in the frenetic concern about their lives, you know, um, it, 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 it caught everyone off guard. And so fortunately, they did have uh, advanced directives that they had filed with the hospital. Uh, and and uh, miraculously, they were able to come back home. Uh, but uh, the, it can happen in a minute, right? Whether it's a cardiovascular Absolutely. event, it's, it's not always something that is coming with a big warning. So you want to have these uh, documents in place. There are something um, that you refer to as the four D's. So beyond thinking, okay, once a year on the 16th of April, I'll use that as my reminder to talk to people about my healthcare decisions and document that. And by the way, I went to intermountainhealthcare.org and you can search advanced directives and there's all kinds of articles to guide you through this, but you also have the four D's. So talk to us a little bit about that, the four D's that might change our advanced directive from year to year. Certainly. So um, one of those D's is a new diagnosis. So something that changes um, or is is news to you and, and is a, a difference in your health care. The second D is a, a decline. And you know, like you mentioned, Rebecca, life goes so quickly. It, I mean, you know, whether it's looking at, at your children or your elderly parents, you know, it, it feels like you blink and things change very significantly. And sometimes over time you might think, well, at New Year's last year, this is how my health was. And at New Year's this year, this is pretty significantly different. And that might trigger your thought about maybe renewing or changing your healthcare directive. Right. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the, the other um, two Ds are divorce and death. So sometimes the person listed as your healthcare proxy is no longer the right person, either because you don't have that same loving relationship with them or because they're not around anymore. Often people choose for their um, their healthcare proxy a person who's maybe their same age or maybe a, a friend or a spouse. And, you know, a, as we all age, um, that that may change who's available for you. Well, and, you know, obviously this is your expertise and your specialty. Most of us don't have the experience with palliative care, and we may not know what we should be including in our advanced directives, right? I mean, other than we heard about respirators, right? Or, you know, people being intubated in the ICUs. And so there's been more, um, maybe I should say, hospital treatment um, uh, terminology that has entered, um, the, you know, the lexicon. But, you know, how would we even know what decisions we need to make and what types of treatment to choose from? 
Well, you know, it's it's really hard to predict the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what we do our very best to have healthcare proxies know, even more than all of the various treatments, which some people might know, oh, because of my, you know, fill-in-the-blank disease, I might be offered a fill-in-the-blank thing. And so if there's something concrete like that that your doctor has told you about, like, hey, we, we might be thinking about transplant at some point or we might need to think about surgery at some point, you can say to your proxy, hey, I really want this surgery or I really don't want this surgery. One thing to be, uh, that I'd, I'd like to just point out and be clear about is that advanced care planning and advanced directives are not intended to decrease the amount of care that someone gets if they want that care. Um, What it's meant to do is to make sure that what you want and what you get match each other. Because we do see, unfortunately, that sometimes with kind of the, the aggressive approach in medicine, that we maybe go further than someone um, might feel is right for them. And so in no way is this initiative intended to take care care away from anyone or to change what they get. It's intended to make sure that your voice is heard, even if your voice is saying, oh, yeah, I really, a breathing machine, like, yes, yes, please, I I want that. And um, so in the process of of talking to your healthcare um, agent, you might say, hey, you know, so these are the things that I do or don't want. But often, we find ourselves as a medical team coming together with the people who love the patient and saying, tell us what this person has expressed in the past. And often, expressed past can help us say, well, the new treatment that we didn't know was a possibility. And hearing what you're telling us about what's important to this person and what they would or would not want to do, we think that fits and that this would be a good treatment for them. Or we might say, well, this is a treatment that could be done, but it would give it would give this person a quality of life that it sounds like they're not interested in and that, that would not feel like a, a good thing in their life. And so it, it allows us all to be on the same team and thinking with the same set of facts about a person when we know sometimes specifics, but always... Um, values. And those are things that whether you're a medical specialist or just a person's very good friend, you can hear from them what's most important. Well, and I, I that's all so, so good to consider and, and to think. I wonder, uh, Dr. Moore, is someone's choice to be able to spend their final weeks at home versus in an ICU or in hospital, is that something that can be expressed in an advanced directive? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we find um, research shows that the majority of people would like their final weeks to be um, in their home, not everyone. And so having that expressed in one way or another would be extremely helpful. Oh, and you know, one thing I thought was helpful too is as you go to intermountainhealthcare.org and you look for the forms, there are advanced directive forms uh, for Utah, which in other words, reflecting the state requirements here in Utah, both in the English and the Spanish language. So that makes it more available for a wider uh, group of our, our residents here in, in the state. So that's fantastic. And for those who've just joined us, this has been Dr. Dominic Moore, who's with the University of Utah Health and Intermountain 
own health care and working in palliative care, both with pediatrics and as the medical director. We've been talking about National Health Care Decisions Day, April 16th, and how that's a point and time where we can pause and make sure that our advanced directives have been discussed with our family members. We choose a healthcare agent, someone who's going to be our voice if we're in a position medically where we can't speak, and we write down our um, our our desires for palliative care uh, in the final days on forms and documents. Dr. Moore, if someone wants, I, I've given the Intermountain Healthcare website, but if someone wants more information about advanced directives, where else should they go? Oh, that's a great question. So um, both Intermountain and um, the University of Utah have excellent websites that I think are, are great places to start. And and actually, um, there are other resources out there, but I, I think those are probably the, the, the best places to, to start and just kind of have a foundational conversation. And then, like you mentioned, talking to your healthcare professional about um, what, what might be most important to you. Right. And then I would be remiss not to thank you for choosing a field of medical care where you are providing um, the tender um you know, the tender, compassionate care for not only the patient, but for the loved ones. And so thank you so much, Dr. Dominic Moore with Intermountain Healthcare. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Rebecca, thank you for a lovely conversation. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.